Let us turn in our Bibles to Psalm 24. I have changed the psalm that we're going to read this morning because of that song. And we shall use Psalm 24 in our worship this morning instead of Psalm 147 that I had planned. I want you to notice that there are really two parts to this psalm. Down through verse 6 is a description of the character of the generation of the Lord Jesus Christ, His children, the family of God, the holy nation of the people of God. It describes their character in light of His great providential government, creation, and providential care of the world. Then in verses 7 through 10 is just glorious praise, and the gates are the object of the exhortation in the singing. But if inanimate gates are being called upon to lift up their heads, then what about the animate worshipers of God that are standing around? They ought most certainly to lift up their heads. It is a true description that when the Lord Jesus Christ appeared in glory in Isaiah chapter 6, the gates of the house in which he sat were moved by the voice of the praise that was round about him. But we ought to lift up our voices because He's given us an advantage over inanimate matter. He's given us a spirit and a heart and faith and fear and love for Him. Let us all rise and we'll read in unison Psalm 24, a psalm of David describing the government, creation, and providence of God in the earth, the character of the righteous that will stand in heaven and then an exhortation to praise. Together. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. The world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation." This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The creation and government of the earth and the world is the Lord's. He's put it upon the waters. 
and establish it upon the floods in the first two verses. In verses 3 through 6, we have a description of the righteous. And the questions are asked, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? This great Creator God and this great providential Lord of His creation, in the first two verses, who can be in His presence? Who will be in His presence? Who shall stand in His holy place? We read in other Psalms that, Lord, if Thou shouldest mark iniquities, no man can stand. And yet here His holy place is described. That holy place that caused Isaiah the prophet to cry out in fear, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I have seen the Lord. Because of his unclean lips and the fact that he dwelt in a nation of men of unclean lips. But here's two questions in verse 3. Who is going to be saved? Who is going to stand in the presence of the Lord? Then it goes to describe those men. And this is consistent with the rest of Scripture, if the rest of Scripture is rightly understood. The descriptions that are about to follow are not conditions, nor are they instruments, nor are they means to be in the presence of God. They are the evidences, the assurances, and the claims to be in the presence of God. This is how we lay hold of eternal life and being approved and accepted by God, but it is not how we gain that acceptance. The description goes this way, beginning in verse 4. He that hath clean hands... You haven't done anything sinful with your hands. And a pure heart, your motives are holy and righteous. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. You have not thought proud thoughts, nor have you resorted to the vain ideas of idolatry and other false worship, nor sworn deceitfully. You have never been a false witness against any. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. The description is in verse 4. The result is in verse 5. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Now, is it necessary for us to have clean hands, a pure heart, never lift up our souls to vanity, nor ever be a false witness in order, by the means of, to get God's blessing and his righteousness? Or are these the claims and description and evidence and proof of the matter? And this choice we must make in interpreting Scripture, or we will end up with a doctrine contrary to the Word of God. This is the generation of them that seek Him. These descriptive qualities in verse 4 are descriptive of the generation that seeks Him. But I want to remind you, Psalm 14, Psalm 58, and Romans 3 say, There is none that seeketh after God. So how in the world do we have this description here? These are men already accepted with God in whom he has placed the graces of faith and fear and love toward the God of heaven. And they they are seeking his face because of his grace in them. But they are not letting that grace be bestowed upon them in vain, for they are putting forth their effort to worship him by that grace. The apostle Paul would say, I am what I am by the grace of God. But that grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. God has mercifully bestowed His grace upon us today 
and let us labor today in our singing, our praying, the preaching, the hearing, our fellowship in the Lord's Supper, that we will do it with the zeal proportionate and appropriate for the grace that He's bestowed upon us. That is the understanding of verses 3 through 6. The character of the righteous. This is the evidence, the result, the proof, the assurance of the righteous. This is not how they obtained approval with God, but rather the result of their approval with God in a legal way and in a vital way. And it's by doing these things that we obtain practical approval of God. The Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he labored, whether present or absent, that he might be accepted of God in a practical way only. Verses 7 through 10. The generation of them that seek God and that seek His face, when it comes to the worship of God, they are exhorted along with even inanimate matter around the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ to lift up your heads. Be ye lift up. He tells gates and doors and the King of glory shall come in. Solomon had an event very much like this when he dedicated his temple. And the Lord did come in. And the glory of the Lord was so overwhelming that the priest could not minister by reason of the glory of the Lord. And heaven itself, can you see it shaking and trembling in Revelation chapter 5 when the Lord Jesus Christ entered in and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And those successive choirs burst forth and the four beasts said, Amen. The place was shaken and a moving if we can understand any comparison to Isaiah 6. But brethren, we are the people of God and we want to lift up our heads. We want to lift up our hearts and our voices. If you're not convinced yet, who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. A brother who just led us in the previous song reminded you And you were reminded last night by the Word of God in Revelation chapter 12 that Jesus has completely won the victory. Victory in Jesus. The triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ over all our enemies and over all His enemies. He is strong and mighty and He's mighty in battle. It's repeated for emphasis that if you want to worship God acceptably, you will lift up your heart You'll lift up your head. You'll lift up your mind. You'll lift up your strength. You'll lift up your voice and worship Him worthy of His great name. And the King of glory shall come in. When a church assembles and their interest is not networking with the important pretty people of society, when a church meets and their interest is not just to give their 60 minutes for a religious part of life, but when a church meets because it loves the Lord Jesus Christ, contrary to the church at Laodicea, the Lord Jesus Christ will come in. He was ready to spew that church out of His mouth because they did not appreciate a personal relationship with the King of glory. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. All angels and principalities and powers being made subject unto our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sits in regal splendor at God's right hand. He is 
the King of glory. And let us worship him today. <laughs> 